0: Our Father and our God, would you cause us to see and to believe, to see Jesus the Savior as our only hope, to see the power of the Spirit at work in us. As confidence to put one foot in front of another and follow you. But you cause us to want to be like your son and to be very joyful that he gave us his life so that we might have life. Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So good to see you all this morning. If you haven't already, please take a Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter one. You know, on a day like today, I don't think it's a day to be creative, which is good because I'm not really that creative or creative at all. But I think it's a day to just cut straight to the point. Jesus is alive! Exclamation point. This is me yelling at you, by the way. Jesus is alive! Exclamation point. Jesus is alive because he overcame death for real. And the life of Jesus is the power for the people of God to move forward in faith. So this morning, some of you, I want to just, I hope to pull you to Jesus. Like, he's real. I need him How do I believe? The rest of us, I hope to pull us to believe that his power is at work in us. It's there. This passage says we're never lacking the spiritual power to obey God or to serve God or to trust God if we're in Christ. And we spend so much time making excuses for not wanting to serve God that we undermine what this passage says. The resurrection power of Jesus is in every believer, always. Man, that changes things. You know, we've been studying Exodus here at Redeemer, and we talk a lot about oxes gore other men and what happens when they get stuck in ruts and all those kind of things. But here's the thing. What this passage says is that if your car's stuck in the mud, it's never because the motor's broken. There might be other reasons it's stuck in the mud, but you always have enough horsepower to get out because the resurrection power of Jesus is in you. Let's believe that this morning. Now, let me see if I can convince you from Ephesians 1 that that's what's going on here. So let's look at it. Our sermon's entitled Resurrection Power. The first point is a true story. Paul makes an amazing claim in the top half of this. He's praying for believers to have an understanding of God's power at work in them. But before we go there, he roots all of that. The foundation of all of that is something that's real and something that happened. Jesus, the Son of God, lived, died rose again, ascended into heaven, and rules over all things. That's the truth, and it's the truth that shapes all of the the what-do-we-do-with-it reality. So we're going to start with the truth, a true story. So start reading with me here in verse 20. Paul is talking about real events that God worked in Christ When he raised Christ from the dead. So, what what Paul is saying is God the Father literally and really raised Jesus from the dead. He was dead, he was in a grave, there was a stone in front of it. God raised him from the dead. He was dead, and now he's alive. Keep reading and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places meaning that once he was made alive he never died he's still alive he's still ruling he's still reigning the text says at the right hand at God's right hand in the heavenly places meaning a place of power and prestige and honor Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, meaning there is no greater rule, no greater authority, no greater power and no greater dominion than that of Jesus currently and forever. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, meaning that his name is the highest name of all worship now and forevermore. Verse 22, and God put all things under his feet, meaning all things are under his power. Everything that is is under the power of Jesus, present tense, because He was raised from the dead, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he reigns from there today. And gave him his head over all things to the church. He's not only the head over all things, but he's the head of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. Now, I just want you to see this. I hope from those few verses, you will grant to me that Paul believes the resurrection was real. Yes? Can we get that? I need this to be Sunday school today. It's been a long day and I'm tired, okay? All the interaction is justifiable, okay? Paul is arguing that the resurrection was real and that Jesus is Lord and that that is true today and it will be true forevermore. So let's put that in its biblical context. If you were at our Holy Week service on Thursday night, this is going to be a bit of a repeat, but I promise to go faster than we did on Thursday night, okay? The story of of this Jesus actually begins at the very beginning of creation. God made all things, including the first humans, Adam and Eve. He put them in a garden the Garden of Eden. In this garden, he said this, you can freely enjoy all of my creation, all of the fruit, except for one thing. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now we Americans hear that and we go, I don't like to be told what to do. Why would God say don't eat of that? Because it was the knowledge of evil and they only knew good. And we're all like, ooh, can you imagine that? To only know good? Adam and Eve chose to eat from the tree, and their eating was rebellion against God, and their eating introduced two horrible realities to the world, sin and death, and sin and death have been spread from Adam and Eve throughout all of humanity, and they are freely everywhere. But even there in that garden, that garden at the beginning, God said, I will defeat sin and I will defeat death. And it'll come through a son of Adam who will then later be a son of Abraham, who will then later be revealed to be a son of Israel, who will then later be revealed to be a son of David, who will then, or excuse me, like one like Moses, who will then later be revealed to be a son of David. And then at the right time, There was a baby born in a manger in a town called Bethlehem. His name was Jesus. His mom, Mary, was a virgin. He was a gift of, he was God's son coming to the world. This Jesus was raised by a man named Joseph and his mother, Mary. And this Jesus lived a completely righteous, sinless life. He completely fulfilled all the requirements of the Lord. He deserved praise. He deserved acclamation. But what we celebrate this Holy Week is instead of taking it, he gave his life as a sacrifice for the sins of all of humanity. He said, I'll take my righteous life, and I will let it be scourged and pierced and killed and I will bear the wrath of God so that I can give my righteousness and my life to all who would ever believe in me. So Jesus died on the cross. He's dead. They put him in a tomb. They roll a stone in front of the tomb and the disciples and followers of Jesus are looking around going, wait, we thought he what? And then on the third day, they came to put some nice smelling spices on his dead Corpse, and what they found was an empty tomb, and a living Jesus, and a defeated death, and a reversal of the curse of sin. Jesus is alive, Paul says. He ascended into heaven, Paul says. He lives and reigns today, Paul says. He's the Lord of the church, Paul says. This is all true and it's all real. And the invitation is to believe that this is true. The invitation is to say, I need that Jesus If we can identify with anything, I think it's sin and death, right? We feel it in our bones. The answer is Christ. We need the Jesus that Paul is talking about here and the Jesus that all the scriptures testify to. So our first invitation today is to realize the trueness of this story and to say, I need Jesus. It's very likely that some of you are here today wondering, what does it look like to be a Christian? What's the big deal about Pastel Sunday? Like, what's the big deal? (laughs) You might have been drugged here by a family member today. I want to be really, really clear. I don't care why you're here. I'm glad you're here. And the Lord wanted you here. And here's the truth. Jesus is the Lord. He died to forgive sin and heal brokenness and make all things new. And you can experience that today. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I, I want to experience that, you can, well, you have permission. Stop listening to me. Start talking to the Lord right now and ask him to help you experience forgiveness and new life in Jesus. Or they got me sitting up here on the lonely seats this morning, so you can come over here in a few minutes and sit in the lonely seats with me, and we can talk about Jesus. Or, you know, I told you there'd be some staff members out there with coffee mugs later. They got more than coffee mugs. They can help you take a step toward Jesus. And if you want to read more about it, we have two things out at the table. We have, for kids, a little booklet called, Who Will Be King? Take one with you. Read about what it looks like to follow Jesus. For adults, we have a book called Basic Christianity by John Stott. Now, Redeemer nerds, hear me out. Don't go back there because you want a free book. If you don't have $12 to buy your own book, shoot me an email and I'll buy you one. That stack is for folks who could afford their own book, but they want to know more about Jesus. Jesus. Take the book. I hope they're all gone when the day's over. We're trying to create multiple layers of ability to take a step toward Jesus today. It's true. It's real. And Scott, you're buying books for everybody, right? Okay, good, good. Loudest shirt in the room has to buy the books every Easter. Y'all just remember that next year, okay? All right. there's an invitation to jesus but is there something more there paul says yes he says there's an invitation to understand that the jesus who saves us is the jesus who transforms us guys so often we preach the gospel like this you're a sinner you need a savior repent and believe and you can go to heaven when you die that's true But we kind of just leave people stuck to figure out, you know, the next 50 to 70 years of life. Paul doesn't. He says the resurrection power that brought Jesus from the dead is in every Christian to empower our living for God's glory. That's what this passage says. So let's look at that. Second point, a transformative story. He's not dead and that changes everything. It changes everything for we who believe. So look at verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So here's what Paul is saying. I know that you believe. You belong to Christ. So Paul was an enemy of God who met the resurrected Jesus was radically transformed and sent to build churches. Now Paul's writing to sinful people who've met the resurrected Jesus, and he wants them likewise to be radically transformed. So he says, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul's saying, I'm constantly thanking the Lord for your faith, constantly remembering you in my prayers. Okay, what does he pray for them? Verse 17. That the, this is where it gets really um, Christian gobbledygook language for a minute. So we're going to work our way through it here, okay? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Here's what he's saying. That the Father, God the Father, who sent the Lord Jesus and raised him from the dead, would give you the Holy Spirit. And in the Spirit, you would have two things, wisdom and revelation. Revelation means truth about who God is that he has revealed. And wisdom means to know what to do with that truth in a fallen world. And so he's praying that they would have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. But then Paul's going to go a step further. He's going to say, particularly, verse 18, that you would have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, that's not a phrase we use. Anybody use that phrase this morning? Eyes of your hearts enlightened, anybody? Anybody? All right, good, We're, we're, we're good, we're 0 for today. So when the scripture talks about the heart, it's not meaning like, bless your heart. And it's not meaning like Valentine's hearts and emotional feelings. When it talks about the heart, it's actually talking about the, the brain center, the, 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 the guiding direction of the whole person. So what Paul's really saying here is I'm praying that your whole being would understand the power of God's love toward you in Christ Jesus, that all of you would, okay? So back before we had smartphones, we had laptops, and then before we had laptops, we had these crazy things called desktop computers. Anybody anybody remember those? Yeah, yeah. So your desktop, you had a monitor that was as big as a car, and then underneath your desk, you had this big black box with a bunch of fans in it that made a loud noise going right? Anybody anybody remember? Like, Like five of you are old enough to remember this? Okay. Here's the crazy thing about that desktop computer inside of that big black box, that was all air, fans, and wire. Inside of it was an electronic piece about that big. And that electronic piece about that big was actually the brains of the whole thing. Like one little drop of coffee on that and your whole thing's done for. And so when Paul talks about that the eyes of your heart are be being light, he's, praying, he's saying, I'm praying that 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 which drives all of you would understand what I'm about to say, that you would be totally captured by this truth. What is it? He's gonna say that you may know three things. There's three things that he's praying for them to know. Now, now some of you are like, okay, I already know this. I already have the facts. I know it. That's not the kind of know that he's talking about. Because for two services this morning, have people look at me like I'm teaching calculus. And they're like, yeah, I already know that two plus two is four. But that's not what Paul's talking about when he says no. He's talking about you would so understand that it's true that it would shape who you, it would change who you are. Facts are only good if they push us to believe and if they push us to be transformed. So he's saying, I want you to know intimately, informedly." I want you to know that this is true. What does he want them to know? He says three things. What is the hope to which God has called you? He wants you to know the hope to which God has called you. So God's already done it past tense. If we're in Christ, he's already called us. He's given us the hope. What's the hope? That Christ has defeated death, that Christ has defeated sin, that Christ has defeated death for us, that Christ has defeated sin for us and that, that nothing in this world can undo what Christ did for us when God raised him from the dead. That's the hope. Now go live hopefully. So he's saying, I want you to know the hope to which God has called you. It's been done. You've been called. You are his. Second, That you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What this means is that we would know the inheritance we have with Christ and with the people of God, and that our riches are in him. Our riches are not in the things of this world. Our riches are not in our bank accounts. Our riches are not in the neighborhood in which we live. Our riches are not in the schools to which our kids go. Our riches are not in the comfort of our extracurricular activities. Our riches are in being a co-heir with Christ. This is our riches. Paul's saying, I want you to know that that's the case. That is your wealth. And then third, verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Now, if Paul stopped there, we go, oh, yeah, God's powerful. It's toward us. But he, he keeps going. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Do you see what Paul just did there? He said, dead Jesus in the grave, made alive, ascended into heaven. The life-giving spiritual power that it takes to make that happen is ours in Christ. That's what Paul is claiming. You may think I'm a kook this morning, but the Bible says that's true. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead has been given to us in Christ. Now you may be like, no, no, you're reading too much into that. I'm not, but let me convince you anyway. Go to chapter two. Paul's going to do what I'm doing in this sermon, in chapter 2. Verse 1, you were, this is Sunday school, come on, you were, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. What Paul's saying is you were spiritually dead, you were physically alive, and you were perpetrating sin and death everywhere that you went. That's the lot of humanity before Christ. Open your social media, there you see it. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So hear this, here in the South, we like to say, now, brother, have you been saved? that's fine it's a biblical term but it's leaving a lot on the table a better question is have you been made alive by god they're the same thing but that conveys something totally different god's made you alive so when we say oh we're free we're free forever we're free that means we're not dead anymore And we won't be dead anymore because Jesus made us alive. How? By the power that God worked when he raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Same phrase. And this is not your doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no man may boast. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Can dead things walk? Living things walk. So ultimately what Paul is praying is that these Christians would know that they were dead and they've been made alive by the resurrection power of god and that they are called to walk with jesus later in galatians 5 paul actually earlier in galatians 5 paul would have said keep and step with the spirit they're called to walk with the spirit because they've been made alive we're not dead in our sin anymore we've been made alive The resurrection power of Jesus is present in Christians day by day and moment by moment. And some of you are going, okay, why are you belaboring this point? Because the church is filled with believers who use spiritual death as an excuse for not walking with the Lord. It goes this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, we're all sinners, but for the grace of God, like I need them, I mean, we're all sinful. Quit reasoning like a lost person. You're not dead anymore. You've been made alive. So, yes, a lost person can't love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength because they are dead in their sin. But Paul's saying, We who've been made alive, can actively seek by the power of the Holy Spirit in us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I don't have a problem looking at a Christian and saying, because the Spirit dwells within you, you do all you can by faith to love the Lord well. Because the Spirit dwells within you, you do all you can by faith to love your spouse well. Because the Spirit dwells within you, do all you can by faith the power of the spirit who dwells within you to respond positively to all the words of the Lord. That is not undoing grace. That's taking grace seriously. We've been made alive. And as those who are alive, we live. We do living things. So I want us to know that we don't have to live stuck in the mud because the Lord's put sufficient power in Under the hood, the motor is sufficient for the work that he's called us to. And all you car guys are like, oh, he's going to mess it up. I'm going to stop there. (laughs) All right, so what's the takeaway? Give Give me the therefore. If you and I or anyone hearing today is not in Christ, then we are dead and we need life in Christ. And the scripture would shout, there's no work, there's no performance, there's no set of deeds that turns dead things into living things. Christ does that, and we find life in Christ. So I would invite you to come running to Jesus. Second, if we're in Christ, the scripture says we're alive. It says the resurrection power of Jesus is at work in us. So let's, let's believe that. Let's believe that the power to be alive, the power to believe, the power to hear God's word and receive it, the power to lovingly worship the lord the power to walk in obedience the power to keep in step with the spirit the power to serve and love others has been put in us by god and it's not man-centered to say i'm going to keep walking with the lord who made me alive let's walk with him but let's believe the power's there Now, some of us came into this room with debilitating struggles with sin, debilitating struggles struggles with addiction, debilitating depression, debilitating anxiety, debilitating loneliness, debilitating just spiritual lethargy. And what I am not saying is I'm going to preach a 30-minute message. We're going to erase all that, and everything's gone. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying in your struggle to put one foot in front of another and make it through one more day, believe that the power of the Lord is at work in you. And if you're able to put one foot in front of another and struggle one more day, that's the resurrection power of the Lord at work in you. So keep going and keep going by faith. Jesus isn't afraid of our messes. But he's here to pour his power on them. Let's believe that. Let's be the people who are so moved by the resurrection that not only can we defend its historicity and make great apologetic arguments for it, But we can find great joy and great confidence and great hope in saying, in the words of 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul goes on, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We might not experience the fullness of that victory today. But we will on that day. And from here until there. By grace through faith. We'll put one foot in front of another. And we'll believe that the resurrection life giving power of Jesus is at work. in we who believe. So now our father and our God. I pray you would take these words. And as much as they are True. And as much as they are good and as much as they are helpful and as much as they render true hope in you, I pray you would take them and you would drive them deeply into us, all of us. Do your work, O oh God, we pray in Jesus' name.